Today we're talking about worship. And my name's Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here at this amazing church. And I have the blessing of doing the sermon on worship today. But I find it absolutely hilarious that I'm the one doing worship and the sermon on this because I have zero musical talent altogether. In fact, I believe I am tone deaf. I really do. I tried to learn the ukulele during COVID because, you know, what else were we supposed to do? And four chords. Nope. I wanted to break the thing. I was pretty much like, there's no way. No. My wife is super gifted in the musical realm, and so is her entire family. I'm not. So you got to know your gifts and accept it. But with that said, I thought it would be fun to share some embarrassing stories with you, all in lines with worship. I've been in ministry for coming up on six years now, and I've made a lot of mistakes in my six years uh, in church ministry, and let me share two of them with you. As a pastor, you should know when a song is ending or when it's in a lull, because that's when you're supposed to come onto the stage, right? You know, and our previous church, we wanted like transitions to be dialed. And so it was like when a song was ending, the pastor should come out and just, you know, go straight into prayer or announcements. And I have two times that I completely butchered it pretty bad. The first one is I completely mixed the cue to come out on stage. In fact, me and a buddy of mine were not backstage. We were outside rehearsing what we were going to say on stage. We were like, okay, here's what I'm going to say. Here's what you're going to say. Here's the transition. And we heard the song go into a lull. And I was like, don't worry about it. We have time, right? We didn't have time. The song was ending. So when we didn't hear the song go back on this like crescendo, I was like, oh my goodness. We started running to get back on stage. We get backstage. I like grab the mic and I'm getting ready to run out. And then all of a sudden the worship pastor and all her grace was like, all right, I guess we're going to head into a time of prayer and just starts praying. And I like walk out on stage and I'm like, I'm so sorry. Luckily it was my wife. So, you know, that kind of like eases it a little bit, you know, but I definitely had to apologize. The second one that happened that honestly is way more embarrassing. Um, like I said, I don't know when a song is lulling or when it's ending. I walked out on stage during a lull, and people saw me, and so I was, like, walking out. I, I was pretty much where I line, everybody's on me, and they're like, oh, the song's coming into an end, and I'm, like, getting ready, and all of a sudden, the, like, musicians start playing again, the vocalists start singing, and I'm there, like, oh, my goodness, what do I do? Could I do the, like, awkward just, like, back up, get off stage? No, people had already seen me. And so I was like, all right, you know what? We're going to fully commit to this. Mm. Yes. Worship. Uh. Just like trying to own the embarrassment of the moment. Um, I like to look back on that as not an embarrassing moment, but as a moment that I really bonded with the band. That that might be just because I want to cope with that differently. But luckily for me, uh, worship is so much more than awkward moments. It's so much more than the instruments that we play and so much more than the vocalist singing. 
in all my embarrassing stories around worship, I have also had moments that truly touched my soul. Moments where the truth of God was so evident and the people worshiping needed the words of truth to wash over them. I've seen it happen in this place, but as I was preparing for the sermon, I was just reminded of my time doing the church plant and how so many moments of hardship were met with worship. So many moments of, I don't know if this is going to work, I'm exhausted, I don't really want to do another worship night, (laughs) were met with moments where it felt like God was just sitting with us. Moments where we were truly worshiping in spirit and truth. It seemed that the people were coming hungry to sit with God and hear the words of these worship songs and have them wash over them. There were moments where our spirits were not filled by a sermon, but by a song, and it led to moments of prayer that led to transformation. Prayer shared on this night that didn't feel like it was coming from the person, but it felt like it was coming from the voice of God himself, the creator of the universe. The worship of this creator led to moments of clarity and truth. And from that place of truth poured out praises, praises to God, about God, and for God. Moments of hope, mourning, peace, joy, sorrow, and gratefulness for a God that is worthy of our praise. Those moments of true worship are only possible if we worship the way that Jesus calls us to worship. To worship the Father in grace and truth. And so I have to ask this morning, are we truly desperate to have our souls besit before the God of the universe? Are we truly desperate wanting our souls to be filled with the truth of God when we go into worship? Or is it just another thing we do on Sunday mornings? Is it just another thing we do throughout our day? Are we ready for our spirit to cry out to God and share that he is worthy of our praise. Because these moments in worship where we truly are worshiping in grace or in spirit and truth, they're not about us. They're about offering ourselves as a living sacrifice before the God of the universe because he is our Prince of Peace, he is the King of Kings, and he is the Lord of Lords. It's not about whether your hands are raised as high as they can be or whether you're on your face in tears. It's not about whether you're sitting or even willing to stand. I pray that this morning we may grasp a little bit of what it means to worship the Father in spirit and truth. So Lord, as we head into your word, I pray that these words of Jesus would not be something that's just another Sunday morning. No, instead, Lord, that they would be a catalyst for us to learn what it means to worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, I pray that we would recognize that worship isn't just something that happens Sunday mornings. It's something that you ask us to do every single day. It doesn't matter about instruments or vocalists. It matters about our heart's condition towards you. 
Lord, I pray that we would truly come to understand that. In Jesus' name, amen. The message we're looking at today is in John 4. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 24. And a little context into this passage. If you have ever heard the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, this is a piece of that story. But context matters, so I'm going to give you a brief overview of how we get to these verses. In this passage, we find Jesus midday at the well, exhausted from time of traveling. And here comes a Samaritan woman to the well. Why does it matter that it's a Samaritan woman? Well, because Jesus is a Jewish man. Jewish people and the Samaritans did not interact with one another. And when they did, it wasn't very nice. But also, Jesus was a man, and he should not have been interacting with a woman. What's also odd is that this woman comes to the well midday. She comes to the well midday because she was probably a social outcast, and she couldn't come when the other woman would come to get water. But instead of ignoring her, Jesus talks to her. And by simply speaking to her, Jesus breaks multiple cultural barriers. Like I said, he is a Jewish man, and the Jewish people did not associate with the Samaritans. According to the Jewish people, the Samaritans were pagans or had incorrect religion because they built their temple on a different mountain. Thus, Jesus is breaking a religious barrier by simply speaking to her, but he's also breaking a social barrier by speaking to a woman that is also a social outcast. Jesus looks past the labels of Samaritan or social outcast, and he sees a woman that is in need of love. He sees a woman that is in need of knowing the truth. And so Jesus asks her for a drink. And in the text, we see that this woman is so confused. How is it that a Jewish man would ask a Samaritan woman for water? And then Jesus shares a little bit about who he is with her. And how through him, she can have living water that she will never thirst again. And of course, like any sane person, she goes, give me that water. So Jesus says, of course, I'll give you the water. Go and get your husband. And the woman says, I do not have a husband. And Jesus says something to her that no one could have known. And in, in that moment, Jesus says, yes, you may not have a husband now, but you were with a man. And not just that, you've kind of gone from man to man to man. And we don't know this woman's context. But what we do know she was a social outcast who Jesus saw. She was a woman who's made many mistakes, and yet Jesus sees her, and he loves her, and he offers him him. And she sees that Jesus must be a prophet. How is it that this man could know all these things about me? And in recognizing that Jesus is a prophet, she decides to test him to see what type of prophet is he. This is where we find ourselves. John 14, 19. It says this. 
The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The statement that the Samaritan woman makes to Jesus is meant to question him. She wants to see if Jesus will have a Jewish response to her. She wants to see if as a Jewish man, if he will get angry with what she is saying to him. She is trying to see if Jesus really is a prophet worth listening to, what will he say to me? Because like I said, the Samaritans believed that you were meant to worship in their temple, which was on a different mount. But the Jewish community believed that the temple and worship should take place in Jerusalem. Thus, this woman is trying to see, what is it that Jesus will say to me now that I'm testing him? And I believe she was shocked by his response. Jesus, in verse 21, is basically saying that a time will come where it does not matter where you choose to worship. It doesn't matter if you choose to worship at Creekside, Bayside, or Doxa. It doesn't matter if you choose to worship on that mountain or this mountain. What Jesus is trying to point out is it's not about a location, it is about a person. Jesus, at the end of verse 21, says, you worship the Father. Now, we in our context read that and we're like, yes, of course, Father God, like, he is our heavenly Father. How beautiful is that, that we're meant to worship him. But Jesus saying this to a Samaritan woman was shocking. It was a little controversial. Jesus is calling the Samaritans to worship the heavenly Father. It's not something they would have heard. Which is why Jesus clarifies what he's saying in verse 22. The Samaritans do not know what they worship. But the Jewish culture does. And the truth is we become like what we worship. What is it that we are choosing to worship? Do we know what we're trying to worship? Are we trying to worship the Jesus that offers us salvation? Or are we trying to worship our own way, our own self? Money, work, family. What is it that we are seeking to worship? Because we become like what we worship. Will what you worship fill you with the truth? Will it lead you to salvation? We have to consider this because Jesus shares here that salvation has come from the Jews. And of course, he would say this because Jesus is Jewish. And if we believe that our salvation comes from Jesus, then we believe that 
salvation has come from the Jews. It matters what we choose to worship because will we worship God or will we worship something else? Because Jesus shows us that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Meaning that if we are true worshipers, it doesn't matter if we're Samaritan or Jewish. It doesn't matter where we worship at all. Instead, it matters who we worship. We are called to worship the Father in spirit and truth. Now, Father is a very common word for God in Scripture. And I want to clarify something about God being a father because some of us have not had a good relationship with our fathers. Some of us have had fathers that have abandoned us, that died early, that have left our families, that abused us. God is the perfecter. God is better. God is a father that will never leave you, that will never forsake you. A father that embodies mercy, grace, truth, and love. In fact, scripture says that he is a father that is slow to anger, that abounds in steadfast love and faithfulness. He is a father that forgives and loves. He is a father that corrects and guides. He is a father that will not let the evil go unpunished. He is a father that is working for the good of those that follow him. He is a father that is worthy of our praise. This is a father that we are called to worship in spirit and truth. A father that deeply loves us. A father that we can worship anytime, anywhere, because he is a spirit. Now, Jesus mentions that God is a spirit because I think he's trying to further what he's trying to say in these scriptures, that it does not matter where you worship. You can worship at any time because God is with you always. You don't need a building. You don't need an idol. You do not need all these man-made things that try to help us worship. No, all you need is God. And we need to worship him in spirit and truth. Now, it seems to me when it says spirit and truth that it means our longing for and our need for God. I am reminded when I read spirit in this context of something else that Jesus said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. When we worship, do our spirits need a God that fills us? Do our spirits need the truth of God to rush over us? Are we longing to have our spirit penetrated by the truths of God so that we are able to know that the lies that we have believed, the lies that we have let dictate our worth, our value, and who we are, are nothing compared to a God that loves us? Are we allowing our spirits to sit before God when we worship? And are we allowing his truth to transform us? Are we allowing the truth of God to touch our very souls when we sit and worship him? Tim Chester in his book, You Can Change, states this about worship. When we worship God, we're reminding ourselves that God is bigger and better than anything sin offers. Worship isn't just an affirmation that God is good 
It's an affirmation that God is better. In worship, we don't just call on one another to worship God. We also call one another away from the worship of other gods. We remind our hearts of God's goodness, majesty, love, grace, holiness, and power. This isn't just an intellectual recall. God has given us music to touch our emotions. We sing the truth so that it moves, inspires, stirs, encourages, and so transforms us. This is the type of worship that I hope we do here. That we worship in a way where we offer our entire bodies as a living sacrifice before God. Where we are willing to worship in grace and truth. Where we are willing to worship in a way that we worship the Father with the spirit of truth. Now to help us understand this, I'm going to actually get quiet for a second. And I want to invite to our stage our worship director, Jalise Owens. Can you guys... You know, give it up for Jalise. Come on now. Now, Jalise is an amazing worship leader, and I believe she leads us in worship in a God-honoring way. And I have asked her a couple of different questions to share with us. And Jalise, thank you for doing this. Good morning, Creekside. Um, As Nathan said, my name is Jalise. I've been the worship director here for... Um, coming on three years um, in April, before that, I volunteered on our worship team for the previous like five plus years, and I've um, led worship at other churches many years before that. Um, but Nathan asked me this morning a few questions um, for me to answer, and the first one was, um, why did I become a worship director? And so I'm going to go into that in a second, and then he also just um, wanted me to share my heart on worship this morning. So um, worship has always played a really important role in my relationship with the Lord. Um, I can remember probably when I was 10 years old, going to a church summer camp, and um, I was in the chapel at the wooden walls, and we're standing in there, and there's worship going, and I look around me, and I see the kids around me worshiping, and I was just like, oh, okay, and then, like, it just, like, hit me, like, oh, like, the presence of the Lord is here with us, and it really had an impact on me and changed and changed me. Um, I've always struggled with anxiety, and worship music has always been something that brings peace and the Lord speaks to me through. I can remember multiple times in my life where um, I'm going through a specific thing, and all of a sudden, like, a song comes on, and it's, like, exactly the words that I needed to hear in that moment. Um, And as a kid, if you would have asked me... um, what I wanted to do with my life when I grew up. I would never say worship leader. I would never say that. I would never stand in front of a bunch of people and um, sing or talk. It terrified me. But um, when I was about the age of 16, I knew that um, the Lord was leading me into this. And um, I remember the first time when I was asked to lead worship, and I was so scared. I was so fearful. But I remember going up on stage and like terrified but then like once the worship we started worshiping and I just felt this peace come over me and I'm like okay Lord maybe this is something that you have called me to 
Um, over the years, I struggled with thoughts of inadequacy. I'm not the best singer. I'm not the best musician. I'm not cut out for this. I even had someone at a former church tell me when I first started out um, that she wouldn't mentor me as a worship leader because I didn't have the personality. I was too quiet. I wasn't outgoing enough to be a worship leader. There have been so many times that I have been hurt in church regarding worship by things that people have told me, but the Lord has always been gracious to me. Even in that hurt that I've experienced, um, the Lord really used it to show me that he's still with me and that he still called me to do this. And I can still worship through hurt and pain, and there's healing and freedom in worship. And I believe that God has called me to be a worship director in this season, to be a vessel for him to use in worship. And my goal as the worship director is to usher in God's presence so that his people can encounter joy and healing and freedom that we were meant to experience for all eternity. <clears throat> worship is mentioned all throughout the scriptures starts out even in Genesis when Adam and Eve dwell and worship in the presence of God in the Garden of Eden and throughout the Bible and ends in Revelation when it talks about how God's people will unite in worship and will dwell with God forever, just as God planned from the beginning of time. And in between there, we have the Psalms that David wrote that are songs of praise and worship or songs of him crying out and lamenting to God. Worship is acknowledging who God is and his worthiness. And when we sing, it's a way that we can connect with God. Psalms 45:11 says, Let the king be enthralled by your beauty. Honor him, for he is your Lord. Um, I love this quote by A.W. Tozer. And it says this. It says, God made us to worship. That's why we were created. Everything has a reason for being here. We have this reason, that we might worship the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So the very reason that we were created, the very reason that we are placed here is to worship God. And I think that true authentic worship um, must originate from our hearts, is motiva motivated by love that we have for God and the gratitude for all that he has done for us. And when we sing songs, it's a physical posture that we can do to bring to the Lord. And no matter what we're going through, there's always something that we can bring to the Lord, whether it's praise, whether it's us crying out for our need of our Father. We are united as one body of Christ when we come together and sing songs on Sunday mornings. When we worship together, we practice the eternal song that we'll be singing for eternity. Like it says in Revelation, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I've read tons of worship books throughout the years, um, but one of my favorite worship books is called Worship Changes Everything. And I love this quote that um, I got from it. It says, the heart of worship is based on the presence of God. Do you see God in your sitting and standing, in your coming and going, before you and behind you, in your words, in your silence? 
Acts 20, 17, 28 says, In him we live and move and have our being. The result of worship is experiencing God. He is always there. It is for us to open our hearts and minds to expect his presence. Then she continues and says, My prayer for you and me is to see the living God at work in every area of our lives today and always. My heart is to see Creekside worship in spirit and truth, just as Nathan was preaching about this morning. I want us to be a church who come authentically to our Father and bring our joys, our hurts, our pains, our gratitude, and experience healing and freedom that we have in Christ through worship. I want us to be a church of believers who don't just show up on a Sunday morning to sing songs, but who live and breathe worship in every area of our lives. Then we come on a Sunday morning to gather together in the midst of whatever's going on in our lives, and we can worship together as one body, welcoming his presence with open hands so that we may experience freedom in him and worship in spirit and in truth. And so however that may look like to you, whether that's coming in, raising your hands or clapping, maybe kneeling, singing out, closing your eyes, just taking a moment of silence and listening to the words of the songs. So as we go back into this time of worship in a few moments, um, I just encourage you to open your hearts to the Lord this morning. Let's not just sing these words on the screen, but remember why we are doing this and what it truly means. You guys give it up for Jalise a little bit more. Come on now. I feel like we could just end the service right there. Am I right? Jalise, thank you so much for sharing and just having a heart to come up and share what you want to see at the church. Um, before we head into worship, I, I was also thinking about the truest form of worship I've seen that embodies what I wanted to share and then also what Jalise shared with us. And it brought me back to a point. So before Creekside, I worked at the church plant, and then I worked at a Christian camp. And at that Christian camp, I helped start a program taking kids from the city up into the mountains where we sleep under the stars, where we go for really hard hikes, where we go whitewater rafting. But one of the most beautiful nights during a week where we had the kids up was when we went on an insanely hard hike just straight uphill. Like just straight uphill. And my intern would carry a small ukulele with her. And we get to the top of this mountain and we'd be at a lake and the kids are exhausted. And we're all tired and we're ready to get the worst night of sleep. And we would sing kids from sometimes different churches singing and worshiping God together, sometimes under the stars, sometimes just under a tree, sometimes just looking over the little lake that was there. But I'll never forget when we sang the song titled Song of My Father. There's a part of the song that states this, and it says, you spoke the earth with just one word. 
and you hold my heart. Oh, my every step, my every breath is your work of art. To be in nature and able to sing a song about how God spoke nature into being was beautiful. But then to process the truth that not only did his voice speak everything into being, and it's so beautiful, it is like a piece of art. My very breath is a work of God's art. When we worship God, do we look at the lyrics that we are singing? Do we recognize that it's an opportunity to sit before a God that is greater and better than anything we can imagine? Where we can worship him in spirit and truth. William Temple, in his book, God, Nature, and Man, states this about worship. He says, to worship is to quicken the conscious by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, to devote the will to the purpose of God. As the worship team comes back up here, I want us to think about this quote. I want us to think about what Jalise said. I want us to think about what it means to bring our hearts and our very being before the Father and worship Him in spirit and truth. Do we worship as something that feeds our minds with the truth, that purges our imagination, that opens our hearts to the love of God, is worship just something we do on Sundays, or is it something that we do every single day, recognizing that our very breath is a gift from God? Will we as a church stop going through the motions and instead recognize that worship is a way to say thank you to God? It's a way to come to him and mourn before him. It's a way to bring everything as we are and say, you are my living water. May we worship in that way today. Let's take a moment to just consider what it means to worship the Father in spirit and truth.